So we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 9 today, verses 1 through 24, the whole chapter. And as we're looking at this, you can see that it's titled, God-Pleasing Worship. That it's titled, God-Pleasing Worship. Now, with that in mind, uh, we're going to be looking at God telling the people of Israel, here is how we're going to worship. That's one of the themes through the book of Leviticus, in fact, beyond just the fact that he is calling his people, his people of God, to be holy people. He's also explaining to them and teaching them how to live and how to worship. And so as we look at this, we recognize there's a true statement that we can find in one of the great reformers, John Calvin. Humans are incurably religious. We desire to worship something. That's how God created us. He created you and I, fully formed people of God in his image, to worship and to find something that we would exalt and bring honor to. Now, the intention behind that is that we would first find Christ and bring honor and glory to him and exalt him. But you can perhaps see as you examine your life, there have been times, there have been moments where you have sought to worship other things. That if we're honest with one another, we would recognize that our entire life is a story of us looking for something to worship for someone that can bring satisfaction to us. That if we're honest with one another, we would say that we have chased and chased and looked and looked to find something or someone that would make us feel whole. And as we study Leviticus chapter 9, God is putting his glory on display before his people. And he is openly, clearly telling them, you have found that which will satisfy. You have found what it is that you are looking for. You have found the one that will make you whole. But it will require things for you to do. It will require certain things from you. And so as we look at Leviticus chapter 9, we're going to see God lay this out before us. Now, as we begin, we typically would uh, stand and read uh, God's Word, but as we're going through such big chunks of Scripture, we're not doing so, though we're certainly reading the Word. I also do want to make a note for those watching online, and for you that are here, we would also typically give our tithes and offerings during this time, and well, that's not happening because of this thing called COVID. You've heard of it, we're living in it, that's why we have these cute masks, right? And so if you would like to give, you're welcome to give as you exit today. Uh, if you're watching online or if you're here, you're welcome to give online at homesavenue.com forward slash give. That's enough for the infomercial. Let's jump into God's text, right? Our first point is that worship requires submission to God's word. Worship requires submission to God's word. Look with me, beginning of verse one, we'll read through the first six verses. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, Take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord might appear to you. Thus speaks the word of God. This is the thing that is commanded for you to do, that the glory of the Lord might appear to you. Those are strong words coming from Moses. Those words are clearly making it known that if indeed we would willingly submit ourselves to God's word, and that is what Moses has said here, there is something that will come forth from that. God's glory will make himself known to us. So as we begin with this chapter, we need some context, right? If you haven't been with us, or maybe you have, and you're just not sure what's going on, let me get, catch you up. Chapters 1 through 7, they're talking through laws and offerings. They're talking through God telling his people through Moses, here's what it is you're to do, and here's how you're to make certain offerings. Okay? He talks through that. He explains it in great detail. You probably have heard more about the fat on the lobe of the liver than you've ever thought you had heard before. And he talks through every bit of that on here is what you're to do for these offerings. 
All of chapter 8 that we were in last week, that Pastor Brian taught through, he is talking through the consecration of the priests. These holy mediators that are working between God and man, between God and his people. He is working through this consecration to make them holy, to purify them before the people of God can offer worship before him. And in chapter 9, what we're going to see today, this is the first corporate worship service of the church of Israel. This is the first time that the congregation is gathering together to worship before God, before the tent of meeting. The entire people, the entire nation of Israel has gathered here to celebrate what God has done for them. And so it's an incredible day. It's an important day. And so here we see that after these seven days of consecration on that eighth day, Moses calls Aaron and the priest together with commands on what they need to do to prepare for this service. Now it's true that Moses says these words, but these are words that are given to him directly from God. Now there's a principle here that we have to begin to wrestle with that Moses has shown us intentionally, I believe. You see, this principle is that worship requires submission to God's Word. Worship requires submission to God's Word. You see, we we see that worship begins here with God's Word. The, The entire book of Leviticus to this point is addressing how we're to worship. That very intentionally God is going through great detail in these offerings because He is intentionally concerned about His people's holiness. That he is specifically telling them, you are to make offerings in this way so that there is nothing that will separate you from my glory and grace. You see, to truly worship God, we must submit to his word, as we see here. So what does it mean to submit to God's word? Right? What does it mean to submit to the scriptures and follow them? Well, I believe that we find some answers throughout the Bible. The best way to understand the Bible is to study the Bible further, right? And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, I believe, tell us how we're to submit to the Scriptures. You'll see it on the screen, but verse 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Why? That the man... Or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, we, we see in this passage that the scriptures, the very word of God that we see proclaimed, is breathed out by God. It is his holy word that has been spoken through humans, written down. This is from God himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we see that it is profitable for what? For teaching for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. We see that God's Word is intended to shape us and to make us into the people that we're supposed to be. We know that because of verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, if we submit ourselves to God's Word, what this means is that we will put our lives, the way we live, under the authority of God's Word. And so this means that if we're living in a way that is contrary or against God's word, then we are not submitting to his word. You see, submission requires that we reorient our lives around and underneath God's word. I don't want you to miss that because it's incredibly important. Submission requires that we reorient our lives around and underneath God's word. You see, this means that we have to do two incredibly crucial things with God's Word. First, we have to study it. Plain and simple, we have to study it and be students of the Word. We cannot submit to a Word that we don't know. Plain and simple, you cannot submit to the Word of God if you do not know the Word of God. I think a perfect example of this is going to be the permit test here in South Carolina, right? Do you guys remember? It's probably been a little while for some of us uh, when you took the permit test here in South Carolina. 
That first test you took to get your driver's license, you had to go into the DMV and you had to stand or sit in front of a computer and answer multiple choice questions about what this sign meant. What do you do when you come to this intersection? You had to show that you understood the theories of driving. Yes, we know you aren't well-versed in them. You haven't practiced them. But we need to make sure you understand what it is you're supposed to do when you get behind the seat of a car. Because if you don't have that foundation, how are you ever going to drive a car? In that same way, if you're not a student of the Word, if you're not studying the Word of God, how can you ever live for Christ? But if you're not a person who is being saturated by the grace of God through His Word, how can you be a minister of reconciliation? The answer is, is that you can't. The answer is, is that it's impossible for you to find God's grace without God's Word. The answer is that you cannot be a minister of reconciliation if you're not studying God's Word. I want to ask some questions, and this is going to be a show your hands type thing. Raise your hands if you want. And I'm going to ask for something that maybe I haven't earned from you, and that is a little bit of openness and vulnerability, okay? This is a judgment-free zone, as Planet Fitness would say. That This is not going to be a time where we're going to condemn you or yell at you or criticize you, but I want to ask a very serious set of questions. So if you would, would you raise your hands with this question if you believe this? How many of you believe that God's Word provides instructions for life? Raise your hands if you agree with that. Okay, I got, I got the whole room raising. This is good. This is good. That's a, a key fundamental belief, and I'm grateful that that's true. Now, my next question is where we really need to get into that vulnerability and the openness, and I want you to remember it's a judgment-free zone, so if the answer is not as often as you'd like for this, that's okay. How many of you regularly read and study the Bible in depth every single day? I've got a lot fewer hands there, right? A lot fewer. Now, I don't ask that question for you to feel ashamed because, as I said, there's no condemnation here. But I want to get to a simple truth for us today. The truth is, is that we cannot submit to God's Word if we don't know it. We cannot submit to God's Word if we don't know it. Plain and simple, if you're not reading God's Word, you are not growing in Christ. Plain and simple. This is why we have harped and harped on things like Bible reading plans, right? Last year, we took the time to not only give you reading plans, but to type up every week, here are the verses you're supposed to read. And yet, our surveys and research showed that less than half of us, with some regularity, read the Bible. This is why we've harped on things like brotherhood and women after God, because we know that in those environments, we can together study the Word and grow and thrive in the Lord. We don't do those things just a Thursday, Tuesday night or a Saturday morning. We do those things because we believe God's Word has the power to change the human heart. You see, Pastor Brian and I know this truth that you only grow as far as your knowledge of God's Word goes. You only grow as far as your knowledge of God's Word goes. And so my question is, how far does your knowledge go? Are you a student of the Word, saturating your heart and mind with the Scriptures? Or is your heart withered and dry because it hasn't had that refreshing, cool spring of the Gospel poured out upon it? You see, today is not a day for condemnation of you for where you are in your spiritual journey. Today is a day of repentance for where you may be. Today is a day for you to confess that, God, I have not lived up to your standards. That is, that I am studying, faithfully engaging with your word, the very scriptures that are breathed out from you, and to repent and to change what it is you're doing. Now, I said there are two things we have to do with God's word, right? That first, we must study it. 
But it's not enough to just study it. The second thing we must do is live it. You see, our lives should be characterized by worship. That we should live in the way that God's Word calls us to live. You see, we find uh, in the Old Testament one of the minor prophets, Micah, in chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, he's asking a question of what does it mean to worship the Lord? In verse 6 he says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. You see, Micah's wrestling with an age-old question. And that question is, how do I worship God? How do I live in such a way that the world can see that I am worshiping Him? He's ultimately wrestling with what is right and proper worship. And he first asks is, perhaps quantity of worship is enough, right? That I'll come before him, I'll give him burnt offerings with calves a year old, that I will give him, uh, will he be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil, right? He's saying, I'll give him so much, will he be pleased with that? Our translation is, is God pleased with the fact that I'm at church every Sunday because the doors are open? I'm a part of a Sunday school class. I give every week. I serve every time I'm here. That's our version of quantity. I'm doing something every week, right? Is he pleased with how I'm living? And Micah says, perhaps, maybe he's not interested in quantity, right? Maybe he wants quality of offering, right? He says, I will give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. God, I'll give you what is most exalted and honored in my life, my firstborn. This truly is a type of quality of worship that you would be pleased with. For us, this can translate as in, I wear my best clothes to church to honor God. I give the most money. I'm serving every Sunday with excellence, right? Give me a pat on the back because I'm here and I'm doing well. You see, all of those are good things. Let me be very clear about that. But they are not what is pleasing before God. You see, what is pleasing before God is the life of worship. That is which pleases Him. It is a quality of life in that we live in such a way that we live humbly, that we do justice, that we love kindness, that we live in such a way that the world looks upon us and goes, if there is ever a person who has walked this earth and lived like Christ, it would be that person. That we not only love the Word, but we demonstrate that love for the Word. That we worship God through the things we do and the very character of who we are. You see, God is not concerned about quantity or quality of worship. He's concerned about the heart of worship. That is what is found in here. You see, if we come into the presence of God, we experience His presence... We hear the Word of God faithfully proclaimed. How can our lives go unchanged? How can our lives go unchanged when we're trapped in sin? How can our lives be unrepentant when we have fully encountered the grace of God every Sunday? I would suggest to you that perhaps you've been changed or at least convicted of changing your ways. I say that because God's Word always does that with what it is intended to do. But the real question perhaps is, why are you ignoring God and His Word? Why are you hearing these words and seeing these things in the Scriptures, yet not living them out? Why are we studying this text, and why are we not living as Christ has called us to live? Do you believe that what we do here on Sundays is a waste of time? 
The answer is, if you believe that, then keep living the way you're living. But if you believe that God, by His very presence, is dwelling here today, the Holy Spirit is living inside you and I as faithful followers of Christ, that if God has promised to be and physically show up where His people are gathered, why have we not changed? Why have we not repented? We'll see in the next section that worship requires us to repent. And I would suggest to you, because I've been wrestling with this in my own heart, that perhaps we together have some repentance to offer God because of how we've treated His Word. That perhaps you and I have not lived up to what God has called us to do. And we very well need to repent and offer confession of sin before God for taking His Word lightly. Now Moses isn't finished with his commands on how we're to worship. So we recognize that worship requires submission to God, but it also requires God's mediation. You see, worship requires God's mediation. See, in this section, we're going to see that worship requires God to work in our lives. This means that when we repent of our sins, someone must work between us and God to provide forgiveness. Here in this passage, we're going to see that it's the priests who are the mediators. They're serving in this mediation role. And you might have seen this coming, but we see that Jesus serves in this role now and forever after his death, burial, and resurrection. That Jesus now is dwelling in this role as a mediator for his people between his people and God. Now we're not going to look at every single verse in this section. There are just a few key verses we're going to look at. Verse 7 and then verses 15 through 17. Verse 7 reads, Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. And jumping down to verse 15, Then he, Aaron, presented the people's offerings and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burnt it on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning. You see, we, we see right here that first and foremost, the priests are serving as mediators between God and his people. And we see that the, the priests as imperfect, sinful humans recognize that they must be cleansed of sin. So that's why they first make a sin and burnt offering for themselves. They say, I'm not perfect. I know that. How can I go into the presence of God without confessing my sin? You see, God is making something very clear to us through the priests. We cannot come into God's presence the same way we come into the presence of other people. You see, if I'm going to go visit Pastor Brian in his house, there's not a lot of preparation I need to do, right? That I need to show up to his house, maybe put a mask on, right, and then walk in. Is that the extent of what we may do to visit another person? The answer is yes, that's about it. Yet, when we are going to go into the presence of God, we don't go in so casually or lightly. That what we see here is that there is a standard to be set that we must first come forward and purify ourselves. We do this because God is different from us and we need help in approaching Him. This difference is not that we are good and He's just better, right? It's that He is holy and we are sinful. You see, the truth of the matter is is that I can very casually walk into Pastor Brian's house because he and I are alike. But I cannot casually walk into worship with God because he is holy and I am not. Just a question for reference here. Again, this is a judgment-free zone. How many of us spent time confessing our sin before the Lord, humbling ourselves before him before we walked in this morning? Got two hands. 
How many of us spend more time arguing about who made us late, where we're getting coffee from, why do we have to wear this shirt, versus confessing our sins to one another and humbling ourselves before the Lord? You see, here's the truth of the matter. Casual dress in worship is fine. Who cares what you wear as long as you're wearing something? Please, God, make that happen. But casually worshiping is an egregious sin. We've lost something in this day and age. We've lost a reverence and awe before the Lord when we come to worship. We come to worship thinking about we're going to see the people that we love, the people that we know, the people that we've missed, yet we fail to recognize that we're not here for the people, we are here for the presence of God to touch us. We are here because we firmly believe that without the Spirit of God dwelling inside us, we cannot sustain ourselves. That we come here as dying people flocking to a hospital in desperate need of hope and life. Yet we approach worship as in, I hope they sing my favorite song today. I hope the pastor's done by 12 and it ain't looking good there, just so we're clear. I hope that people like my cute new outfit so I can say, thanks, I got it for $5. We are not here for those things. We are not here just for you to have something to do, for you to see certain people, or for you to hear your favorite song. We are here to worship and exalt God Almighty. We are here to make much of His name, not our name. The truth is, because we're broken, sinful people, this is who we are. Remember when I said that we're incurably religious? We like to find something to worship. But even though you may be here as a faithful Christian, your heart gets pulled astray because you are just someone who chases after something to worship. That, that's who I am. That's who you are. That's who we all are. And it's because of this desire to find something to worship, we have to have a mediator. We have to have someone who will stand between us and God because of our sin. And that someone's name is Jesus. That the one who stands before the Lord on our behalf is Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 says this, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. You see, what that verse means is the new covenant we have through Christ coming into earth, living a perfect life, dying upon the cross, the new covenant we have is better than the old. It is much more excellent because it is enacted on better promises. Where those of the Old Testament, those of the past days, merely offered grain offerings and animal offerings, we have God himself who came to die on our behalf. That this is a sacrifice we don't have to make with regularity because it has been made once and for all for you and I. That this is an offering, this promise is better than anything that could be found because... It was made by God himself, Jesus Christ. Now we, we see that in the midst of this mediation, that this act of mediation always requires an offering. That to mediate means there's someone working between us and there's still a debt that is owed. There's an offering that must be made. In the Old Testament, we've seen these sacrifices. We've seen it through Leviticus, these offerings of animals and grains. But we see that Jesus, when he came, he inaugurated the new covenant. And in the new covenant, he is both our sacrifice and high priest. The writer of Hebrews has much to say about this, but we look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 and 27. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. 
He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Why? Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. You see, we have the ultimate sacrifice. It has been offered before us. We no longer worry about this mediation with animals and grains because none of that matters because Jesus Christ willingly gave of himself so that you and I could have life eternal if we trusted him. We need to know that this offering that is found here as we see throughout the scriptures, this isn't just paying lip service to the Lord. You see, this offering is to begin with repentance, confession of our sins before God. This means that it is an after effect of our repentance. We offer because we recognize we have sinned. We need an offering because we accept, we confess that we have fallen short of God's, God's standards. Now let's define some words here, right? Because I want to leave no room for us to argue or bicker over what this means. Here's what some of these words mean. Sin. What is sin, right? Sins are anything we've done that's not in line with God's Word. That's about as dictionary a definition as you can get. This means that we may do things that God has said to stay away from, or that we may fail to do things that God has told us to do. So what sin is, is that we have this list of things that God has said, I expect you to do as a faithful follower, and you're to stay away from these things, and we've ran after those things, and we've forgotten about these things that God has called us to do. What is confession? This is specifically calling out sins and our failings to God and to one another. Let me make something very clear to you. Your sins are to be named and confessed before God and before one another. The truth is, here in the American church, we try to keep a stained glass window up, the stained glass masquerade as a song from a few years ago went. And what we like to do is to say that I've got it all together, yet you never hear us confess sin to one another. The truth is, is we are to be very open about our shortcomings and failings. That we're to first confess them to God himself. He knows our sins. What are we keeping hidden from him? He knows all. He sees all. He knows that we have made these mistakes and we're still supposed to come before him and humbly confess our shortcomings. But we're also to do this with one another. Why? So that we can lovingly humbly, gently restore one another. We can hold one another accountable. That we can see the grace of God actually poured out in our lives. The truth of the matter is, is that if you never tell your doctor about this pain you're having in your side, can they help you? No. But if you'll confess your pain to them, and say, Doc, you know, I've got this problem right here and it's hurting. Can't they help you? Can't they then begin to encourage you and guide you and think through what could be going on? Is that not the same way that you and I are to act with our sin? To confess to one another, you know, I've been really struggling with this. I've had a hard time with that. I've read these verses and I'm not really sure that I understand them, much less believe that that's true. Can you help me? How can we help one another if we don't know what ails one another? The last word we need to define here is repentance. You see, repentance, this is a military term from the Greek. Uh, it was used uh, to mean turn away or to do a 180. So soldiers in formation, when they would use this term, they would then turn around and go back the direction they're going. Essentially, this means that we have recognized that God is here and we are traveling away from him. And that when we repent, we turn around and return to him. That this is what repentance means. You see, repentance is just the first step in this. 
because as we repent, we confess our sins, and because Jesus is both our high priest and the sacrifice, he accepts our forgiveness, offers himself his shed blood to pay for the debt of our sin, and provides forgiveness for us. You see, this is all necessary before we're truly able to worship God. I'll just ask this question. It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hands to this, but if we've not repented of our sins, then how can we offer worship to Him that is pleasing? If we have not confessed our sins... How can we offer worship that is pleasing to God himself? The answer is we can't. The answer is that our worship is just empty noise if our hearts are not right with God. This is why the Old Testament puts such an emphasis on offerings in the proper order and way before they worship. This is why Jesus himself has said that if, you have, if you've sinned against someone and you need to confess it, you're to drop your offering at the altar and go and make it right before you worship God. Why? Because we have unrepentant sin in our lives. Our worship is meaningless. It's empty noise and the clanging of gongs before the Lord. And he is not pleased with that. So if indeed worship requires submission to God's word and it requires God's mediation for us to repent as God's working in the middle of this, what what is the result of all that? What, What do we get out of those things? And I'll submit to you that we get this third point. Worship results only from God's arrival. Look with me at verse 22. Then Aaron lifted his hands up towards the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And here's the money one. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the offer. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. You see, here we see that what true worship really is like. Here, God himself visits and moves upon his people. When they see him display his glory, they are moved They are not, as we joke about some fellow brethren, the frozen chosen. When they see his glory, they drop to their knees and cry out, this is God himself. Holy, holy, holy is he. We see the power of God on display when he shows up and does in us only what he can do. Now, why shouldn't we rejoice in the presence of God this way, right? We have so many reasons to celebrate his name. That we as Christians were once lost, but now we are found. We were condemned because of our sins, but now we are set free. There is nowhere that we can go that God will not go with us. There is no sin that we can commit that God will not forgive. There is grace abounding for you and I in the presence of God. Now I have some questions for you. I know I've asked a lot of questions, but I'm trying to get to the heart of the matter. That is, what is going on in the heart of you and I? What is God doing inside of us? So, a series of questions. And yes, you can raise your hand for this. I'd like to know what you want. Do you want to come on Sunday mornings and see people cross from death to life every week? That is, we want to see people repent of their sins and trust Jesus every week. Do you want to see that? Because I know I do. Do you want to see people flocking, not just to our church, 
but to all the churches in the area, like sick people to a hospital desperate for the hope that we have. Do you want to see your family, your friends, your neighbors transformed by the same God who saved your soul? Right? We want to see these things. And so my question for you is, if the answer to all of these is yes, then why is it not happening? If the answer to these things is yes, why is it not happening? Why do we not have people repenting of their sin and having baptisms every week because God is moving? Why do we not have people flocking to the churches in our community seeking this which will satisfy? Why are our families, our friends, our neighbors not being transformed by the power of the gospel? I would submit to you that the problem here is not with God, but with us. You see, you and I don't place God's word and the necessity for repentance at the top of our priority list. But if we're honest with one another, if I can have a few more moments of shared vulnerability, we don't tend to live by putting priority on God's word and repenting before him, right? There are many things that we have to do. There are things in front of us. There are so many places that we're being stretched towards. And we fail to put that at the top of our priority list. You see, if you and I don't regularly seek after God's transforming work, why would anyone else look for it? If we don't regularly drink from the well of God's word, how can we lead others to do so? That if we say indeed we believe that God is powerful enough to change lives, but our lives are not consistently being changed by God's power, why should anyone believe the promises we proclaim? You see, I believe that as we look at this text, we see a fundamental truth. God displays His glory on His church when they are right with Him. God displays His glory on His church when they are right with Him. And I believe that today is a day of confession and repentance for us. That I know from my own heart that these are things that at times they get out of whack. They're not priorities for me in my own life. That I'll clearly and gently confess that before you that I've fallen short of these standards at times. That I've not lived every single day with God as the priority. That if we gave Pastor Brian and Mike, his words would be the same. And so what I want you to hear, what I want you to understand is that just like the high priest of old, we are not perfect. And just like the people of God of old, you are not perfect. Yet, where there is confession and repentance, grace is abounding. I believe that we need to confess our shortcomings before God so that He may have His way with us. We're doing this because we want to see God move in such a way that only He could get the glory, right? That we want to see such a move of God that when people say, what's happening here in North Charleston? What's going on in Holmes Avenue? The only thing we could say as an answer is, God's glory is here and He is working. And so I ask a question for you. Do you want to see God's glory arrive in this church and in your life? Show of hands, right? Do you want to see God's present, presence made known here in such a way that all the community would see of His glory and hear the things that are happening and go, only God could be moving? You see, I do. I know Pastor Brian does.
And I believe that you do as well. And if indeed we want to see God move in such a way, then there's something that we've got to do. And today I believe that that is that we must repent and believe in God and His promises. We must repent of not putting Him first in our priorities. We must repent of not submitting to God's Word. We must repent of not confessing our sins to Him and to one another. We must repent of taking this great, holy mediator we have for granted. Because I believe that if we are truly to be sojourners or strangers who are in exile for God and His glory, we must live completely differently than we are now. Now, as I say this, this requires some humility from you and I. Of confessing that we're not perfect, that we don't have it all together that we've fallen short of the standard that God has put before us. And so here in the next few minutes, we're going to have that time of corporate confession. And I'm going to offer something to you that I don't typically do, but I'm feeling particularly Baptist today, and so I want to put this before you. That I'll say these words, the altar is open. That today, as you're wrestling with God, perhaps today is the day that you would walk forward and confess your sin before Him and live differently. Perhaps today is the day that you would trust in Christ as your Savior and follow Him. Perhaps you're just repenting of lifestyle. Perhaps you're just repenting of specific sins. But today what I want to do is invite you to come forward and be prayed over. But yes, we pray for you each and every week. But this week, COVID be darned, I want to put my hand on your shoulder and pray for God's blessing on your life. And so here in the next few minutes, we'll have our time of silent prayer and reflection. Pastor Brian and I will be here. And if God should move in such a way in your life that you desire to confess sin, you desire to repent before God, Yes, you can do so there. But would you come forward and repent together with your faith family? And so what I'll do is I'll pray. I'll close this and we'll pray silently together. That This is your time that should you desire to come forward and repent. Should God move and you repent in your seat, that is fine as well. I'll close this with a few words of prayer and then we'll worship together singing of the greatness of Christ and all that He's done. And I pray that that singing would be full of joy, of satisfaction in the Lord, of hearts and minds that have been changed fundamentally by the Gospel. That we would sing in such a way that those around us would have to ask a question, what is God doing at Holmes Avenue? What is God doing in the lives of those people? So if you would, would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Father, we come before you as humbled servants of you. Lord, we recognize that we've not lived perfectly. 
We know that the goal on this earth is to not be perfect, but to just simply strive after holiness, Father. But there are things that we want to confess before you. Lord, we've taken your word for granted. There are two billion people on this earth who have no access to the gospel. That we have more Bibles in our homes than some countries do. And we've not opened your word. Father, may it be true that over the next few months and years from this day that if someone were to fingerprint our Bible, we would be found guilty as a faithful follower of Christ who studies their word every day. May it be true that we are being saturated with the grace of God that is found in your word and that we would be continually changed by what the Spirit is doing through us reading the Scriptures. Father, may our hearts be softened to the Word. And may these deep truths that You have brought before us wreck our hearts and change us into the people that You desire us to be. Father, we pray that we would humbly boldly repent of our sins before you. Father, that we would confess our shortcomings, the things that we have done that you've told us to stay away from, the things that we fail to do that you have commanded us to do. Lord, we do not understand truly what it costs for us to be forgiven that we have taken the great high priest and sacrifice of Jesus Christ for granted. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Lord, let us confess our sins before you. Let us repent of the things that we've done that have led us away from you so that we might rejoice in your presence once again so that we might fully feel the grace and power of God dwelling in this place. And Lord, as we have confessed to these things, as we have repented of our sin and shame, may you move in such a way that your presence is here in our worship. May the words we sing not merely be words, but gospel truths that have taken hold of our hearts. May the words we sing be bold affirmations of the power of the gospel to change lives. May the things that we sing, may the words that we study through the scriptures that are preached to us, change our hearts and minds. And may they compel us to go forth and to live as faithful missionaries into a lost and dying world. Father, we pray that you pour out your Spirit upon us even now. That we would be empowered by the Spirit to truly worship in your presence. That the words we sing, the things we do here in this time, would be a pleasing offering to you, Father. Lord, we're thankful for the things that you've done for us. And we pray these things in the strong name of Christ. Amen. This time our band's going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a time of worship. And in this time, you may feel led to stand and sing and they will certainly encourage you to do so. But perhaps you still need to confess some things, to repent of things, to acknowledge what God is doing in your life. This is where Pastor Brian and I come in. We are here to speak with you, to counsel you, to encourage you. But I do encourage you as God is moving, respond to whatever it is he's telling you to do.